Good morning, Flat Park Church. It's so good to be with you on this Daylight Saving Sunday. Congratulations on being among the elite who were able to set your clocks correctly to spring forward and make it to today's service on time. We're glad you're here. I'm Allie, for those of you that I haven't had the chance to connect with yet, and today is the second Sunday of Lent, and like Susie said, I'm honored to be co-teaching this series along with Stephen, whom you heard from last week. And since Lent is a time where we embrace honesty and practices like confession, I got to tell you right off the bat that I am really, really, really excited that it's Lent. Like, I genuinely love Lent, you guys. You might have heard me talk about this at Ash Wednesday. You might have heard me talk about this last Lent. I love Lent. And so if you're new to Lent, you might be thinking, that sounds a little bit crazy. And if you're not new to Lent, you know that that sounds crazy because Lent's not typically a time that you get excited about. Um, usually it's presented as kind of like a bummer in the like liturgical church here. Um, and get it. I get it. I get it. I, I grew up Catholic, so Lent is like the Super Bowl of Catholic guilt. If you're Catholic, you know this. Um, sometimes in the Catholic church growing up, it felt like Lent was the main event and Easter was the after party, not like the lead up to what we were celebrating. But to be fair, um, it's easy to misunderstand Lent on both sides. So when we overemphasize this as a season of sacrifice or a time where we really focus in on our sins, we, we miss or we can miss the loving gift that this time is. There is a definite sacrificial element to Lent, but there's also a really deep tenderness and intimacy of this time that gets lost when we make it just about sacrifice or just about sin. And on the other hand, when we minimize Lent or even ignore it entirely, we miss the growth and the deeper experience that this season offers. Because ultimately what Lent extends to us is an invitation, an invitation to come home, to return to the heart of who God is and the truth of who God has created us to be so that when Easter arrives, we can more fully live as the people that God's calling us to be. We can more authentically step into the resurrection life that Jesus died to give us for the sake of what God is doing through us in God's world. And throughout our time together over the coming weeks, we'll talk about this invitation to come home. We'll talk about what that looks like for us. And our guide is going to be the lectionary. Now, if you've been here for a while, you've heard Susie and Tim talk about this. We talk about this a lot. But as a quick refresher, the lectionary is a shared set of scripture passages for each Sunday and each holy day of the church calendar that takes us through the story of God. What I love about the lectionary is that this morning, churches and people all around the world are exploring the same gospel passage that we're going to be looking at today. And it helps us get caught up once again in the expansiveness of the story of God. Like this is a big story that God's writing that we're invited to be a part of. And so this week, the lectionary brings us to the end of Luke chapter 13. We're in the middle of Jesus's ministry where he's been teaching and healing and that's led to clashes with both the religious elite and the ruling leaders of his day. And we're going to start in verse 31 of Luke chapter 13. We're going to camp out here. So I would grab a Bible in the pew in front of you and just follow along with me. Um, some Pharisees were the religious leaders come to Jesus and tell him to leave where he's ministering because Herod, who's a ruler that's been appointed by Rome over this area, wants to kill him. 
So you might remember the name Herod from the Christmas story. Same guy, literally been out for Jesus' blood since day one. Um, And Jesus replies to the Pharisees, go and tell that fox, referring to Herod, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, this is a really fascinating passage for the lectionary to throw at us week two, right? Like if this were the second to last Sunday, you'd kind of get it. But we're like five minutes into this movie, and it feels like the lectionary is like fast-forwarding us to show us what's going to happen towards the end. But what Jesus does here is what he does a lot is he uses intentional language to communicate two important things to us. This is who I am, and this is what I'm about. The entire passage, he's communicating this is who I am, and this is what I'm about. Now, when we read this, Jesus' followers and listeners wouldn't have connected his reply to the Pharisees that he's going to keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day he will reach his goal. They wouldn't have connected that as a clear allusion to his death and resurrection, mostly because he's still alive, so they're not thinking that he's going to die and come back to life. But we have the benefit of hindsight to know that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving us a clear picture of what he's going to do in his death and resurrection. He's not worried about a death threat from Herod because death has always been a part of his plan. And on the third day, I will reach my goal, he says. What happens on the third day? Resurrection. Resurrection. This is what he's giving us a picture. This is the end. This is where we're going. It's a good ending. Spoiler alert, it's it's good. This is who I am, and this is what I'm about. Jesus continues on in verse 33. In any case... I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. What he's doing here is connecting both his actions and his fate to those of the Old Testament prophets. I feel like it's like Jesus is saying, like, come on, guys, like, what kind of prophet do you think I am? Of course I'm going to die, but I'm not going to do it out here in the sticks like some nobody. Like, I'm going to do it in Jerusalem like a real prophet. And if you've spent time in the Old Testament, you know this, right? Prophets are sent by God to the people of God to tell them again the truth about who God is and the truth about who they are and to show that they're on the wrong path and to turn back to God, to repent and turn back. Historically, Israel has a pretty bad track record when it comes to receiving the prophets. Like real, real bad. They do not listen. They do not turn back. And instead, what they typically do is exactly what Jesus says here. They kill the prophets. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to happen, is going to happen to Jesus. And so he's showing us he knows that that's going to happen. We know that that's going to happen. And that he is a prophet like the Old Testament prophets. And that's why Jesus goes on to lament in the next verse, verse 34. He goes on to say, share his sadness over Jerusalem which here functions as a metaphor for all of God's people. 
So he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, because God, being by definition God, is bigger than anything that our minds can fully grasp, Scripture gives us a bunch of different metaphors and images to explain who God is and what God's like. Remember, this whole passage, Jesus is doing two things. He's saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm about. So some of the images that we see in Scripture are really familiar to us, right? God is a father. God is a good shepherd. God is a vine. God is the bread of life. Jesus is the lion. Jesus is the lamb. We know a lot of these. But the Bible includes a lot of other metaphors for God that are not as common. If you start to look into this, it gets a little bit weird. Um, but it's, it's interesting, right? Have, we've heard a few of these maybe. God is fire. God is a nursing mother. God is a homeless man. And here we see the image of God as a mother hen. And now you've likely heard the language of finding shelter in God's wings. This is very common throughout the Old Testament. This is actually really common in Judaism, too. Using the idea of the shelter of God's wings or God's wings as a picture to describe the safety and the protection that God provides. We see this in the Psalms. We see this in the prophets. We even see this in, in little books like Ruth. The idea of I take refuge, I find shelter, I find safety in the shadow of your wings. If you've been praying along with any of kind of the corporate prayers for Ukraine right now, you've likely been praying a lot of these psalms, begging God for safety, begging God for refuge and protection for people. And while Luke's gospel is primarily written for a non-Jewish audience, remember here what Luke is recording is Jesus as a Jew talking to a group of Jews by telling the Pharisees how he longed to gather the children of Jerusalem like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, Jesus uses a very, very common picture that they've heard again and again used to describe God. And what he's doing is using this to directly connect himself with God. He's directly connecting himself with God. And when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus do this a lot, right? I and the Father are one. I only do what I see my Father doing. The Father has given all authority to the Son. And he does this because the people that he's talking to don't know that he's sent by God. They don't know that he's with God. They don't know that he is God. And they don't believe him when he repeatedly says it. So he's connecting that for them, but he's also connecting that for us. And I think it's important for us to notice here because some of the times this comes up a lot for us in Lent in communicating the sacrifice that Jesus has made for our sins over the years, Christianity has sometimes given us the wrong impression that Jesus comes to save us from God. Now, I hope this has not been your experience, but I hear this a lot from people that I sit with, that in Christian circles we get the mistaken sense that there's this vindictive, kind of bloodthirsty Old Testament God who's doing battle with nice New Testament Jesus as Jesus pleads our case. And they're kind of at odds with each other. 
And Jesus is like, don't kill him. And God's like, I really want to kill him. And Jesus is like, kill me instead. And God's like, fine, I just want some blood. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. No, 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 no. Because when we believe that, we tear apart the Trinity. We tear apart the unity that has always been at the heart of this rescue operation. This has always been a joint venture between Jesus and the Father. And he emphasizes that here for both his original audience and for us to remember they're not at odds. They're doing this together. And that matters because by describing himself like a mother hen and connecting himself to God, Jesus is giving us a very, very powerful picture of God's heart for us. Remember, Jesus is telling us this is who God is and this is what God's about. And this right here, this picture, is what God is. This is what God's like. Now, you might know this. I don't know a lot about chickens, and so I just learned this. Mother hens are notorious defenders of their chicks. This is, like, well-known, I guess. All the way, we see this back to ancient Roman writers talking about this. They are fiercely protective of their babies. And when there is any threat, the mother hen immediately gathers her chicks up under her wings to keep them safe. But that's just part of what she's going to do when there's a threat. Once they're safe under her wings, she's going to go on the offensive to defend them, even to the point of sacrificing her own life. Sound familiar? God's desire is and has always been to gather up all of God's children into God's arms and keep them safe. To hold them, to care for them, to nurture them, and to protect them. This is who God is, and this is what God's about. This is not a harsh judge keeping track of your every move. This is not an angry parole officer waiting to rip into you until you get your last breath. This is not an absentee father who doesn't know how long you're going to be. God is a nurturing, safe mother who is fiercely protective of you, who wants to hold you, who wants to keep you safe. Catholic writer Henry Nouwen wrote it like this, day and night God holds me safe as a hen holds her chicks secure under her wings. Even more than that of a tent, which is another common metaphor the Old Testament will use to describe God's safety. The image of a vigilant mother bird's wings expresses the safety that God offers her children. They express care, protection, a place to rest and feel safe. Here's a mosaic of this image in a church overlooking the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And I want you to look at this, and I want you to see the genius in what Jesus is doing here. Because by calling Herod a fox and then positioning himself as the mother hen who wants to gather her chicks under her wings, Jesus is simultaneously, seamlessly connecting all of these Old Testament references to the shelter of God's wings to what he is going to do through his life, his death, and resurrection. Jesus is saying to us, when your safety is threatened by an enemy, some kind of fox, whatever a metaphorical fox would be for you, I'm the mother hen, I'm the God who's going to keep you safe, and I will protect you to the point of sacrificing my own life for yours. That's how much I love you. That's how much I want to keep you safe. 
this is who God is, and this is what that's about. And the deep tragedy in what Jesus is saying in his lament is that the only reason God isn't actively doing this is because the people don't want God to do this. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. This is an almost direct echo of what we hear the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, where God speaks through the prophet to tell Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. The message paraphrases this as, your salvation requires you to turn back to me and stop your silly efforts to save yourselves. Your strength will come from settling down in complete dependence on me, the very thing you've been unwilling to do. The lectionary gives us this passage at the beginning of Lent because Lent is a time of recognizing our silly efforts to save ourselves and turning away from those back to God. We get this passage at the beginning of Lent because this is the Lenten invitation. Our silly efforts to save ourselves are what Stephen talked about last week, how we try to meet our own needs apart from God. And now remember when we talk about meeting our own needs, we're referring to legitimate needs that God's created us with, God knows we have, and God's, God intends to meet those needs. And we typically put these into three categories of needs, right? We have needs for safety and security. We have needs for love and belonging. And we have needs for a sense of agency and power in our lives. And in God's economy, our strength comes from dependence. You might have heard this called the upside-down kingdom. The ways that we're taught things should work are not how they work in God's world. So in God's economy, our strength comes from our dependence, from acknowledging our weakness, from surrendering to let God meet our needs however God would choose to meet them. And the truth is that we try to meet our own needs apart from God because we don't actually trust that God will meet our needs, right? At least not in the way that we would, or we want God to, or the way that we would if we were God. And the heart of what I want you to hear today is that you cannot settle down in dependence on God if you do not fully trust him. You cannot settle down into dependence on God if you do not trust him. I see you. I'm for you. I love you. You can believe that intellectually. You can believe that in your head. But you're not actually going to experience that truth in your heart unless we experience God as Father, unless we trust that God is Father. And the point of the Lenten season is starting to get honest about what's actually happening in here. You know all the right things here. You could tell me all the right things. You know this. But what's actually happening in here is what we're interested in in this season, to start to get honest about this with God and let God lead us into a more authentic experience of him. 
into a more authentic relationship. And that's why this passage is so powerful for us in Lent, is because it helps us see what we're actually experiencing in our hearts. I want you to do an exercise this week where you picture yourself as a little chick. And then imagine that you see a fox. And then ask God, do I trust you to be a mother to her who would gather me up in her wings and protect me to the point of sacrificing her own life? Do I trust you to do that? Because if I don't, what am I going to do when I see a fox? I'm going to run. I'm going to run. I'm going to be the Israelites who say we will run on swift horses. And God says, good luck. Your pursuers will be swift. Because God's response to Israel is the same as Jesus' response to Jerusalem. You cannot outrun these things. You can't outrun it. You can only settle down in deep dependence on me. That's the way. And we can't do that. We can't settle into dependence on God if we do not fully trust God. If we don't trust that God's good, that God's kind, that God's kind, that God's gentle, that God forgives, that God loves us, that God's safe enough for us to sit in the shelter of his grace. That's the conversation I want you to have or continue having with God this week and throughout the rest of Lent. I want you to ask directly, God, do I actually trust you? That's a lot, guys. Like, spoiler, God already knows. Like, God knows the answer to that. You're not going to surprise God with your answer to that. Do I trust you? Or, God, what keeps me from trusting you, from settling down in dependence on you? God, why do I keep trying to outrun these things instead of run to you? There's usually legitimate reasons why we do that. God knows those. God wants to give us freedom in that, growth in that. What keeps me trying to outrun things instead of running to you? And for most of us, we're very familiar with the image of God as a strong tower. It's a beautiful, deeply biblical picture of who God is. But it's only half of the big tree of God, right? Because God's also a gentle, nurturing, protective mother. So in your conversation with God, I want you to sit with this image of Jesus longing to gather the children of Israel, the children of God, into his arms like a mother. Actually imagine that. It's a very powerful image that he intentionally chooses to use. And in your conversation with God, ask, how are you longing to hold, to gather me up into your arms? Have I ever thought about you? Do I feel safe enough to even think of you? What keeps me from letting myself be holden? And how can I begin to say yes to more of your embrace in my own life? This is work God's going to do. This is work God wants to do. We don't have to get there. We already are. We just open ourselves up to the conversation with God and what he holds. Let's pray.
what did you pray with me on? God, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for the journey of Lent. We thank you for the invitation to stop our silly efforts to save ourselves and to settle down in deep dependency. You long to hold us, to comfort us, to nurture us, and to keep us safe. God, you know what keeps us from trusting your heart. You know what we need to hear from you to open ourselves up to the healing work that only you can do in us. God, we love you, and we thank you for your pursuit of us, for your rescue of us, for your love of us, and for the safety that you offer us in the shadow of your wings. We pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.